So we are in the book of Haggai. And the topic is first things first. Priority. Why do we need to prioritize our lives? How many of you have 25 hours in one day? Nobody. All of us have only 24 hours in one day. And we need to prioritize our lives so that we are able to do what God wants us to do with the limited time that God gives us to do these things. So once we miss out on the priority, we are basically wasting time and energy and sometimes even money. When we make investments in the wrong priority, we may not even, even get back any return. So it's very important that we prioritize our lives. Last week, and part of our discussion guide for your midweek groups, I sent out the Eisenhower Quadrant. What is important? What is not important? What is urgent? What is not urgent? And then if you use that and be honest with yourself and fill it up, it can be your discussion with your own family. You might discover that what is important to you is not necessarily important to your spouse. Or urgent to you, not urgent to your children. And lo and behold, you have an idea, you have a snapshot. No wonder we always quarrel. No wonder we always have these conflicts. Because what I thought to be important to my family is not. So I hope you did that during uh, the week. And last week, we talked about prioritizing God's plan. What else? Second point was prioritizing God's perspective. Tita Cora took notes. The third is performing God's will. And the last is prioritizing the presence of God. If you and I devote our lives to obeying God's will, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So don't blame God for things that you yourself have done. You're not prioritizing God. You're not prioritizing things of God. You're not prioritizing God's will for your life. And then when things go awry, who do you blame? God. But he said, if you do my will, I am with you. So perhaps you're not doing his will. Now, I have shown a similar graph before. You have on the one side, one axis is the event, the other one is time. This is your expectation. And this is your reality or your current experience. They're not meeting the same, right? What is that? That is your gap. That is your level of disappointment. When there is disappointment, when your expectations are not met, what happens? You complain. You begin to blame others. You begin to blame God. So this morning, we're going to take a sh very short review of Haggai chapter 1 before we go into Haggai chapter 2. So notice this chart. 
Here's your event. Here is your time or your, expecta- or your reality. Here's your expectation, but the reality is below. So the gap is your level of disappointment or discouragement. When your expectations are not met, when your dreams are not met, you're afflicted with disappointment or discouragement. And sometimes if you do not know what to do, you just give up. Haggai chapter 1 verse 6. Listen to this. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes. Isn't that frustrating? If, you're, if you have a farm, and your farm is planted to rice. You planted one stalk of rice. Do you expect to, ga- to harvest one? Just one piece? Or you plant a mango tree and it takes anywhere from 10 to 15 years before it begins to bear fruit and then your expectation is to harvest one. What a waste of your time and your effort. You go there, you burn the old leaves, so the smoke will go up to the leaves and drive away the insects. Yes? And then, ta-da, harvest time. How many did you harvest? One. Why? Because I only planted one. I will only harvest one. Look at, so frustrating. You plant much, you harvest little. You drink, you eat, you're not satisfied. You have clothing, but no one is warm. So frustrating. The expectation is not met. Why? What does God say? Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Evaluate your ways. Analyze what is going on. Why do I plant and I harvest little? Why do I eat and I am not satisfied? Maybe you should go to the buffet. Now, usually this is how we process things. First, there is an event. Something happens. And then you process the information. You process it through your beliefs, through your assumptions. And then you have an aha moment. You have a conclusion. This is normally how we process things, right? So let's give ourselves an example. The event. You're in a hotel, you're in a conference, and then you could not find your watch. You know that you left your watch in a certain place. And when you went down to the conference, when you came back to your room, you cannot find your watch. That is the event. So what do you do? You process. You process it based on your beliefs, based on your assumptions. And you come to this conclusion. I believe I left it in my room. But when you return to your room, it was not there. You assume the housekeeper is a thief. And the housekeeper, the one who tended my room, stole my watch. That is your assumption. That is how you process the event. And then you had the aha moment. 
your aha moment was you're angry towards the hotel because they are hiring thieves. Let's bring it closer to home. How many of you have tried to contact your spouse or your children and they don't answer, they don't text back? Oh, I see you're laughing. Be honest. What do you feel? What are you thinking? When they don't return your call, when they don't return your text message. First, Oi, something must have happened. And then you call again. And then you text again. Your concern begins to change. You begin to be upset. I am the one paying for this cell phone. They cannot even return my call. They cannot even return my tax. Yes or no? Come on. Yes. Because we have this certain way of processing things. We have this certain way of assuming things. Right? What did Jesus say? What did the, the prophet Haggai say? You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I will blow it away, says the Lord. Why? Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which lies desolate, which while each of you runs to his own house. God told them that you will be taken captive in Babylon, but a remnant of you will return to Jerusalem. The temple that King Solomon built has been destroyed, but God said it will be rebuilt. Now I commanded Nehemiah to tell you, nothing happened. I show you the chart. We're not going back there this morning. Long story short, your house is nice. The temple of the Lord remains in ruins. That is why, because of your disobedience, because of your delay, that's what is happening to you. You plant but harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You have clothes but you do not feel warm. You, you earn wages only to put them in pockets or purses with holes. You live from paycheck to paycheck. And I shared with you last week what Pastor John MacArthur said. Too much month at the end of the money. You get it? There's still a week and a half left in the month of July, for example, and you have no more cash. Why? Because you did not prioritize the important things. You're about to do something. You have made the decision to follow God because you are so convicted with the message and you're about to do it. And then, your heart became weak. Am I going to do this? Can I do it? Those of you who like to play golf, you know you're about to win the tournament. It's only a three-foot putt. Then you walk away. And then you come back to the ball. Then you walk away. Come back to the ball. And then your hands are shaking because this is the tournament. And then you walk away. <laughs> or... Okay, this is part of my bucket list, which in Tagalog is really bucket list. <laughs> bungee, bungee. Oh, 
Will the rope break? Is my insurance paid? What do you call that? Yes or no? Right? In Tagalog, we call, ano, dinagaka. Right? That's the topic of my message this morning. Disappointments are God's appointments. So we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid. What we should do is to remind ourselves that God is at work, that God is continuing to teach us, and He is allowing certain things to teach us and to call our attention so that we will abide in obedience to His will. Why did all of these things happen to them anyway? Look, Haggai chapter 2, verse 17. I smote you, and every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Why? Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. God wants them to return to Him. God wants them to obey His will. But because they do not do it, God allowed things to happen to call their attention. Are you going through something? Is God trying to call your attention? God does not allow these adverse things, these negative things to happen to us, to pain us, to hurt us. He calls our attention and allow these things because we are His children. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom He receives. So because God is a faithful God and He loves you so much, he will allow certain things to call your attention so that you and I go back to Him. It could be a financial disaster. It could be an ailment. It could be a relationship problem. I don't know what it is. But don't blame God because His desire is only to call your attention should, so that you may return to Him. Before we continue with chapter 2, let's commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for our time of worship this morning. We ask that you will speak to all of us through your word. And not only, Lord, for us to hear and understand your word, but most importantly, Lord, that we will apply this in our lives so that as you mold us to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, the world around us will take notice and give us the opportunity to declare and speak and witness about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all of these things. Amen. First things first. Prioritize God. Prioritize His perspective. Prioritize performing His will. And prioritize the presence of God. Haggai chapter 2. On the 21st, on the 21st of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Why did I highlight for you Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is part of the lineage that if you... Studied the genealogy of Jesus, 
through the line, Zerubbabel was part of that genealogy, comes Jesus. If God did not allow a remnant of the Jewish people to return to Jerusalem, if God allowed that all the Jews that were taken captive and brought to Babylon would be killed, how could He fulfill His promise that out of the house of David will come the Lion of Judah? So God preserved this remnant so that through this remnant, Messiah could come. So I highlighted it for you. So Zerubbabel is the priest during that time. So who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? That's why Pastor Desmond preached before, two Sundays ago. Don't compare. The temple that King Solomon built was beautiful. It was awesome. It was filled with gold, with precious jewels. Then it was destroyed. It was burned. Everything there was destroyed. And God is saying through Haggai, how many of you are left? Those of you of the original who are still alive, how many of you remembered the glory of the old temple? Did you not see it? Do you see it now? Because they've returned by this time. Do you see how it lies in ruin? Where is the glory before? Before maybe marble and gold and all this beautiful stuff. Now it is made of what? Would remember in Haggai chapter 1, Jesus told them through Haggai to tell the people, okay, go up to the mountain and get the wood. So the former glory of the beauty of the temple that King Solomon built, compare it now to this temple that you're trying to build. Some of us who just came to the U.S. to live here, to the land of greener pastures. Ay! The houses here are made of wood. My house in Manila is made of hollow blocks and cement. But here, their house is lousy because it's only made of wood. Maybe you lived in Forbes Park. Okay. And then now you're living in an apartment or a condominium. Before the glory of the temple of the Lord, before it was ruined, now you have this temple that you're trying to rebuild made of wood. Those of you who were still alive, do you remember? But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work. So what is God telling them to do? Don't compare. Don't compare the beauty of the old temple. I'm commanding you to make this new temple now. Never mind if it was marble or whatever it is. Never mind if this is wood. This is what I'm telling you to do now. Take courage. Why? 
I am with you. If you really want to prioritize the presence of God, you will want to do what assures the presence of God. Yes or no? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if God is telling us, don't mind the old temple, that's the past. This is the temple that I want you to build now. Take courage. I am with you. Take courage. Work, for I am with you. So when you are discouraged, wow, that beautiful temple before, now we have to settle for this? Take courage. Work, I am with you. So what's your application? What should you do? Fix your eyes on Jesus. That, that temple is finished. That temple is destroyed. God is telling you here and now, build this temple. Even if it's made of wood, do not compare. Instead of comparing, what should you do? Fix your eyes on Jesus. My neighbor, not even a Christian, better house. My neighbor, not also a Christian. Beautiful automobiles. All Italian. Maserati, Ferrari, Bugatti, Spaghetti. <laughs> and here I am, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I live in the garage of the back. You know, here they rent out the, 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 if the garage is detached, right? They rent it out. Here I am. I'm a Christian, committed follower, and I'm relegated to renting at the back of the house. Where do you live? Garage. <laughs> Where do you shop? Target. <laughs> Why? When we compare, guess what? The moment you compare, you remove your eyes from Jesus and you begin to look to the left, you begin to look to the right. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross for you. This person to your right may have a beautiful house and all kinds of these Italian cars. This person on the right may have a beautiful house, and they're both non-believers, and you live in the garage behind. But you are the one who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Who for the joy set before him? Who is that joy? You guys. We are that joy. He endured the cross. He suffered its shame. Then, when it was finished, he sat down. The work is completed. And you should fix your eyes on Jesus because you have a personal relationship with the Lord. And you should be happy. You should be content. You should be blessed that you have such a relationship. That's why James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive what? 
the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. There is a reward. You're looking at houses. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If you like a bigger room, you use the King James. Because the King James says, In my house are many mansions. <laughs> but my friends, it is not whether you have a room in heaven or whether it is you have a mansion in heaven. Heaven is about the presence of Jesus Christ. So I don't care if I just have a bunk bed for so long as I'm in the presence of God. Some of you may be in mansions. Why does he have a mansion? That must be a big shot. No, he's a jeepney driver. Why does he have a mansion? I only have a bunk bed. Oh, you know why he has a big mansion in heaven? Why? Because when he drives, a lot of people pray. <laughs> so he has a... You know, that's only a joke, right? Heaven is not about the place. Heaven is about the presence and person of Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit and all the saints who have gone before us. I don't pretty much care for who I will see in heaven. What I'm more concerned about is who I will not see. My family, my loved ones, my friends, my neighbor, my office mates who may not be there. But the most important thing about heaven is the presence of Jesus Christ. And if we persevere, if we continue to do the work of the Lord, even if we have obstacles, discouragements, disappointments, hiccups, bumps in the road, whatever you want to call it, look at the promise. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't compare. Don't look at the old temple. Look at the temple that God is commanding you to build. Haggai chapter 2 verse 5. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. Take courage. Do not fear. Work. I am with you. Did I not promise? God is reminding them. Did I not promise? that I'm going to take you out of Egypt, put you into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Was not my presence with you all along? So God is telling them and reminding them, as for the promise I made to you. Do you remember the promise I made to you? I'm keeping it. My spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. If Jesus is in you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, wherever you go, is Jesus with you? Yes. But is His presence actively abiding in you, which means that you are obeying? 
and that you can see God moving in your life. Unless, of course, there is some kind of disobedience in your life that you cannot see the work of the Lord. I promised you, God said, I promised you, and my spirit continues to abide in you. So as you fix your eyes on Jesus, second point is, you must trust the promises of God. I'm not saying no the promises of God. Knowledge is different from wisdom. You can know all the promises of God. But until you correctly apply those promises in God, your wisdom, your knowledge will remain as information. But the moment you begin to apply, then it becomes the wisdom of God active in your life. Free yourselves from the love of money. What are you doing? Are you pursuing money over God? God already said, flee yourself from the love of money. God wants you to pursue Him. And as you pursue Him, He will, what did I share with you? Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But you want the reverse. I want the things first, and then God, God's holiness, and God, they come later. Because I want to be rich first. When I'm rich, I have a house, I have this, then I will serve God. That is the world teaching you. And then because you pursue money over God, you suffer financial collapse. Then who gets blamed? God, you did not protect. All of a sudden, you did not protect your money. All of a sudden, it's your money. Are we communicating? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Take courage. I am with you. Jesus is with you for so long as you do His will. You will be blessed. Persevere. And trust the promises of God. Joshua chapter 23. I take it from the NIV because it is a little more easy to understand. By this time, Joshua is about to die. Okay? He's about to die. And this is what he says. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. He's about to die. You know that with all your heart and soul, that not, not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And then the moment some adversity comes into your life, all the promises of God are out the window. Why? Because instead of fixing your eyes of Jesus, where did you fix? Oh, big problem. Small God. Big problem. Small God. When you are fixing your eyes on Jesus, big God, Never mind the small problem. Now that you remove your eyes from Jesus, you fix your eyes on the problem, big problem, small God, never mind the promise. All the promise is forgotten. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Trust the promises of God. How do I do it? Battle of the mind. 
First, of course, you have to know the promises of God. How can you know the promises of God if the only time that you read about the Word of God is when they are flashed on the screen? From Monday through Saturday, you don't even bother to open your Bible. You don't get to know God. Well, anyway, we have D-group. And our D-group leader is going to give us two verses. Jesus wept, tumangi si Jesus. It's one verse. He just translated in Tagalog. How are you going to finish the Bible? Well, I'll wait for Sunday because pastor will show it on the screen. What if, for example, we come here next Sunday, no PowerPoint at all, and you have to bring your Bible? And then I will stand here. Let's open to the book of Zedekiah, chapter 3. Okay? Wala namang Zedekiah. Can I have volunteer to read Zedekiah chapter 2 verse 1? Pastor, there is no Zedekiah. You can only trust the promises of God if you know the promises of God. How can you claim to trust the promises of God you don't know the promises of God? So let's give everyone a fair share. Let's give everyone a fair shake. We will assume that everyone in this room reads the Bible. And everyone in this room knows the promises of God. So what do we do? The expectation and the reality is not met. There is a disappointment. There is a discouragement. What do I do? Fix my eyes on Jesus. Trust the promises of God. It's a battle of the mind. So what do you do? Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is in if, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. But the only promises I, I know is I'm going to heaven. That's a good start. But there's so much more that God has promised you. Fix your eyes on Jesus and you have to trust the promises of God. It's a battle of the mind. Trust the promises of God. Whatever is noble, whatever is pure, dwell on these things. But pastor, my wife is so disrespectful. My husband is so unloving. My children are so rebellious. My parents are so exasperating. Trust in the promise of God. That if I do my part, my part as a husband is to love my wife unconditionally. My part as a spouse is to show unconditional respect to my husband. My role as a parent is to make the, the rules clear so that they are not ambiguous because they tend to exasperate my children. My role as a child is to not only obey my parent but to honor them. If my eyes is fixed on Jesus, if I trust the promise of God, I will obey. But the moment I remove my mind and my, my thoughts from Jesus Christ, I will look at my situation and complain. So what should I do? Fix my eyes on Jesus, trust the promise of God. Now this is what God is going to do, okay? This is a bit scary. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and all the dry land. Here in California, no problem. We are just all waiting for the big one, right? But notice, he says, once more. So when was the first time that the earth was shaken? When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. The earth was shaking because God spoke and the commandments by the finger of God were written in stone. The first time. But look at this verse. Once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Before it was just the earth. But now He's going to shake both the earth and the heavens. So this is going to be more massive than the first one. He says in verse 7, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations. The desire of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord. Imagine, when that happens, all the nations will bring their wealth before the Lord. The wealth that you and I are always looking for, they will just go to the Lord. There is something that's going to happen in the future. It is so scary that the people will come before the Lord. Now, you have that in parentheses, the desire of all the nations will come. You know, some Bible scholars are saying that that really means that when this thing happens, the nations will really turn to God. They will desire for Jesus. But it will take a shaking. What does this mean? And his voice shook the earth then. This is the time that God gave the commandments. And his voice shook the earth then. But now he has promised saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. So where did that come from? Haggai chapter 2. Verse, two, verse 27. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. God will separate the goat from the sheep, the wheat from the tares. And also, when, you, when we were little in the Philippines, you know, you, you, you would go to the province maybe for a vacation, and then you have this fruit tree, you don't even know what it is called, and how do you want to get the tree, the, the fruit from the tree? Right? And then if it falls, okay, I got. But some of them are really going to stay there, no matter what you do. Right? These are those who really belong to God. Those that remain, those are those who really belong to God. That's why you persevere. When you persevere, what is the promise? You will receive the crown of life. Verse 28, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken, if you are in Christ, 
even if there's shaking going on. Like the old rock and roll song. A lot of shaking going on. If you're really in Christ, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. And you're secure. And since you are secure, you can trust. You can fix your eyes on Jesus. You can trust the promises of God. Why? Because when the time comes, I'm going to ev be evacuated from this earth. And I will be with Jesus forever. Let us show gratitude. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. We should, we are God's people, we should be thankful. Praise should always be on our lips. But it's easier to complain. Why? Because we don't fix our eyes on Jesus. Because we don't trust the promises of God. So what happens? We begin to complain. Knee-jerk reaction. Here is the event. Here's my conclusion. What was missing? The process. You forgot the process. Now, you want to have a godly conclusion. In the process, you must involve God. If you do not involve God in the process, you think you will come out with a godly solution or conclusion? Of course not. So here is the event. Here is the process, and I have to involve God in the process so that I can have a godly outcome or conclusion. Am I making sense? Second Peter says this, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burned up. Before it was a flood. But God promised Noah, never again will I destroy the earth through the waters. So here in Second Peter, what is coming? Fire. Fire and brimstone. That's the way God will sift whatever it is. The work that will stand is the genuine work for the Lord. The work that will be burned up will be what? Just ashes. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? That's a question. What sort of people should you and I be in conduct, in holiness and godliness? Haggai chapter 2. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. What you and I are already looking for already belongs to God. He owns everything. Since he owns everything, it's going to be easier for me to prioritize God because he already owns everything. And if I prioritize his presence in my life and I prioritize performing God's will, what is God going to do? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Why? God owns everything. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The beautiful temple is destroyed. You are asking us to build a temple made of wood. 
how can the glory of the latter be more glorious than the glory of the former? The temple in the Old Testament, in the time of Moses, was called a tabernacle. The tabernacle was mobile. They could set it up, they could pack it up, then they go to point B, set it up, pack it up, go to point C, etc., etc., etc. Until God commanded them to build a permanent temple which King Solomon built. The tabernacle and the temple, what is the common denominator between the two? It's the presence of God. The tabernacle signifies the presence of God. It is not the temple that is the presence of God. It is the presence of God that makes the temple. Are you with me? And he says, the latter glory of this house, this wooden temple, is going to be greater than the former. Now, how is that going to happen? Temple means the presence of God. Yes? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. So what is the more glorious temple? The one made by man? Marble, gold, or even wood? Or is your body the temple of the Holy Spirit? That is the more glorious temple because the Spirit of God lives in you if you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? I will dwell with my people, declares the Lord. So if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you're trusting Him for salvation, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, this place of worship is just wood, hay, and straw. The more important and the more glorious temple is inside. This is the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ dwells in a sinner like me. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And look at Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone. Before they would build a house or a temple, they would have to choose a perfect cornerstone. Because upon that cornerstone, you begin to build the house. If you choose a bad cornerstone, one is not perfectly square, the house may collapse. Now, you and I are being built into a spiritual household. On the foundations, on the saints and the prophets, those who have gone before us. But who is the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ. Because His sacrifice is perfect. His sacrifice for you and for me is perfect. 
built upon the foundations of the prophets and the saints, but with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Now, what's going on in His temple? This new temple which is our body. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by His Spirit. You and I are inter interconnected to build a spiritual house. Why? Because God lives in us. God lives in you. God lives in you. We, we, we're like Lego pieces. But the chief corner Lego, if you will allow me, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I fix my eyes on Jesus, as I trust in the promises of God, and I know that I am, the temple is really my body because this is where the Lord God lives. What should I do? How should I live? Should I live at my disappointments or should I live with glory? I should live gloriously. Many people are wanting to come to the United States. Some by legal means, some by extra-legal means, if you know what I'm saying. But God says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are citizens. You may not have a blue passport. You may have a red passport. A passport covered with the blood of Jesus. Because you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation unto God, bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And because that is the truth that the Bible is telling you this morning, you and I should live gloriously. What do I mean? Colossians 3 verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him. In what? In glory. Today we know in part. When that day comes, we will know in full. Because I'm headed to glory, I should live gloriously. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus Christ? I showed you in Hebrews chapter 12. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him, endured the cross and suffered its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of God. And what is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6 telling us? Where are you going to sit when the time comes? With Jesus. And where is Jesus sitting? At the right hand of God. And who's going to be seated with Jesus at the right hand of God? You have a glorious position. We just don't think about it that much. But consider this. That's why consider, consider, consider. Consider your ways. Consider that you're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Consider that you are going to be seated 
together with Jesus at the right hand of God the Father. You're headed for glory, brothers and sisters, whether you like it or else. You're headed for glory. So better start living for glory here and now. So that when you get there, you already know how to act. Why is it that in Subic Bay, when you see a stop sign, you will stop? Because they will apprehend you. Because they apply the law. The moment you get out of Subic Bay, ah, why? Nobody will apprehend you. Why is it here that you do the same thing? Because that's the rule, that's the law. And you don't want your insurance to go up because you're going to get a ticket. Live for glory. You're headed there. God has already assured that. That's why He says, look, do not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't let your discouragement get you down. Because what? Discouragement are God's appointment. Appointment for what? To mold you, to grow you, to make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the temple. In the book of Revelation, I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are His temple. There will be no longer any curse, any and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. You will see God face to face. Here on this earth, for now, it says, no one can see God and live. But when this time comes, we will be able to see God face to face. Not only that, look at this. There will, be no longer, there will be no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light for a lamp, nor the Lord, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign with Him forever and ever. Are you headed for glory or not? Are you going to reign with Jesus or not? Yes? You have a glorious future ahead of you. So we should start practicing this now. Focus on Jesus, trust the promises of God, and live gloriously. Not arrogantly, but gloriously. Because when the time comes, according to 1 Peter, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Disappointments are what? Are God's appointments.